And once again, what we've been trying to do is put ourselves into the middle of the events that led from the triumphal entry, the Last Supper, the crucifixion, all the way to the resurrection. And once again, we've probably journeyed through all sorts of emotions and questions and challenges ourselves. For the vast majority of people, Easter's over. It ended on that bank holiday Monday. But in truth, the season of Easter has only just begun. I don't know if you've been up to Tesco's in the last four or five days, but you'll see walls and walls and walls of Easter eggs. So they would be quite grateful if we were to tell everybody that Easter's still going on. So they could sell some more of their Easter eggs, I think. Even though people start talking about Easter before Palm Sunday, Easter really starts, the proper Eastertide season starts on Easter Sunday and it runs through until Pentecost on the 9th of June. We're now in Easter, even though for most people it's done and dusted. And the point is that this Easter period gives us further opportunities to reflect on what it is that we've been celebrating and remembering in these past couple of weeks. It's a time when we've got uh, opportunity to consider what is our response to what we've been thinking about and celebrating and remembering. What should I be doing? What am I doing as a result of what Jesus did and what God has done in him for me? We've been talking about it, we've sung about it, we've read about it, we've been proclaiming it, but is it making a difference in our lives? Easter's one of those seasons when as church we hope and pray that somehow this message will go and reach people who have ignored it so far or turned away from it. But the truth really is, is it changing us? Are we responding to this story? We might be expecting others to respond, but is it changing us? Are we living our lives differently today because of what Jesus did on that day? So today we're going to kind of break away from the traditional Easter time scriptures a little bit. We're going to look back at this account that Mark records for us of Jairus' daughter and how Jesus brings her back to life. It means going back a little bit back in time to when Jesus was still travelling around in the local area. He was in the countryside, near to the Sea of Galilee, and we know that he's been um, speaking and teaching, and more and more people have been coming to hear the news of this teacher, the Jesus, this man from Nazareth. And as people hear the truth that Jesus has been preaching, so they share it with people, And more and more people come, not just to hear, but to see some of the things they've heard that this Jesus can do. And I think this is useful for us to look at on this side of Easter, because when Jesus raises this girl from death to life, he's showing us that he's got power over death and power over disappointment. And he's telling us that we can have hope even when it seems like all is lost, even when others 
might tell us that we've got nothing to hope in. Because of what Jesus does, not just on the cross, but because of that victory, but also because of what he demonstrates in the miracles of people like Jairus' daughter, we have a hope that nothing is beyond Jesus in our lives, that even when things look like it's too late or it's past change, it's never too late. So what does it mean to us to know that God raised Jesus to life and that Jesus has the power to raise others to life? See, Jairus was a ruler of the synagogue, we're told, so he's an important man in the community. Many people would have known him. And we can imagine that he probably wasn't very public about the fact that maybe he's got some sort of faith in Jesus or he's been listening a little bit more closely to Jesus than some of the others have. Maybe he feared being persecuted if he admitted or owned up to, to something that, that somehow he was drawn to know what was going on with Jesus, not just in a practical way because he was a leader, but in a personal way. Because something must have been going on in Jairus to make him on that day turn to Jesus when all other things, all other hope had failed for him. When his daughter's dead, something is in him, something he's heard has stirred him to turn to the person that he believes is the only one that can do anything about the situation. Maybe he didn't even know he had a faith in Jesus until he found himself in a desperate situation. But we're told that he comes and he falls on his knees in front of Jesus and pleads for help. A public demonstration of his confidence that Jesus can do something. Now that's really important to bear in mind for a man who's so well known. In that moment, in his desperation, he's prepared to publicly declare, I believe in the power of Jesus to raise my daughter from the dead. There are going to be consequences. The Bible doesn't tell us what the consequences are for Jairus, but there will have been consequences for him. There are consequences in this story which are amazing, but there will have been difficulties. There will have been trouble for this man who's a leader in, in the Jewish faith who publicly comes and seeks help from Jesus, effectively declares a belief in Jesus. And what's amazing is the response that he gets from Jesus. It was instant. It doesn't say that Jesus said yes, it just said Jesus went with him. As soon as this man came and explained what the situation was and what he wanted, Jesus went with him, just instant. He didn't interview him. He didn't sit him down and say, well, tell me, Jairus, what, what do you believe about me? What do you understand about the Messiah? Or what is your personal commitment to God? Can you explain a little bit about how your faith has been evident? There was no questions. Simply, it tells us that Jesus went with him. 
And I think the importance for us is this. If we come to Jesus honestly and openly, and perhaps even desperately, regardless of how strong our faith is, or how weak it might be, or perhaps even non-existent, up to that point, he will always respond to that kind of approach. Jesus will always respond when we go to him and we take ourselves in front of him. There are two groups of what we might call naysayers in this story. There's the messenger who turns up and says, it's too late. She's already dead. Don't, don't waste your time. Don't bother the teacher anymore. And then there's those that were actually at the bedside at the house, the wailers. When Jesus arrives, we heard that they're wailing at the, the loss of this child. And then when Jesus says, she's not dead, she's just asleep, they just turn into scoffers or mockers. We're told that really Jesus' response to both of these people, these groups, was the same. He ignores them. He puts them out. He doesn't allow their doubt or their negative ideas to influence what he's going to do and the power of God. And our response ought to be the same. The same to those naysayers that we probably find in our lives too. I'm sure you've got them or experienced them. Maybe it's an old friend who tries to tempt you into keeping up those old habits that you used to enjoy so much when you used to go out with them. Maybe it's somebody who doesn't believe and who just sort of questions everything that maybe you're struggling with at home or in your marriage or in your relationship with your children or at work and that person that just doubts everything. Oh, it'll never get better. Perhaps it's the relative that loves to remind you about all those things you did before you met Jesus, about all those bad things you did, and kind of tries somehow to sort of say, really? You think Jesus would love you? I know what you did. Surely you can't believe that he'd say yes to you. But the truth is, it's never too late. That's what this story says to, to me. It's never too late. It's never too late to do the right thing and to allow Jesus to do the right thing in our lives. Verse 36, Jesus says to the man, don't be afraid, just believe. Don't listen to the scoffers, to the world that tells you oh, it's too late or you're too bad. Just believe. And what we're believing in is hope. That word that in the world has completely different meanings, really. That sort of vague, well, I hope Liverpool win. Is that about right, Gareth? Yeah. That sort of really misplaced expectation. <laughs> Sorry, no, I support them too, but actually they're doing all right. But um, as opposed to what this biblical hope, which is a confidence in the promises of God, a confidence built on our experience, not expectation, experience of God. 
See, when we, when we put our hope in the power of Jesus Christ, it's not, it's not sort of, hmm, I hope it will happen. It's, it's, I know it will happen because this is my experience of God. And what do we hope for? What is it that we can hope for? Where is our hope to be placed? In Romans chapter 5, it tells us here about where our hope is. That we can put our hope in God to get his glory in our story. It says this, We boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. See, that kind of hope does never disappoint. It can't disappoint. How we know God better, how we respond to God in the process, that is where God's glory is revealed in our life. That's how it's, it's shown. No matter what tragedies might be going on in our lives or have gone in our lives, how we respond to them, how we hold on to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. An American author and teacher by the name of Elizabeth Elliot said this in one of her, her books. Of one thing I am perfectly sure, God's story never ends with ashes. Just a little while ago, we sang that song at the foot of the cross. And we sang these words, Now I can trade these ashes into beauty. Because our story never ends in ashes if our story is in Jesus Christ. It will always end in beauty. Because the story of the cross is a story of hope and a story of glory. It's not a story of tragedy. It's not just in that moment in history, in that moment in time, but in every moment. It's a story of hope, a story of glory. It's the story of the cross that we need to share with everybody because everyone that hears it and who responds to it, that hope and that glory becomes real in their lives too. It's a story of transformation made possible through obedience and response and activity in Jesus. The other important character in this story is this woman, bleeding for 12 years. We're told that not only did she suffer a great deal under the care of many doctors and find herself in financial ruin because she'd spent all she had, but she was socially isolated. Not only was this woman's life blighted with this condition, but she would also have been shunned by people generally. Because of her condition, people would have had no contact with her, since this was what it would have made them, like her, ceremonially unclean. And through no fault of her own, this woman would have been excluded from society. And because of the religious structures and systems, perhaps she'd begun to feel that she was excluded from God's love too. Today it would be like somebody finding that they were not welcome in church. Somebody discovering that they 
They turned up, but they were judged as unclean because of a situation or a condition in their life or because of something that they had done or even were doing. But surely that wouldn't happen today, would it? In church? If anyone had a reason to give up, she did. But instead, she did something courageous. She acted in desperate hope. She knew what hope meant. And perhaps that's a reality that you've known. Maybe you've known it as a reality for somebody else. And often it's only in desperation that people will actually turn to Jesus to solve or resolve a desperate situation in their lives. It's only when the world has failed them at every turn that do they at last turn to the one person who always has had the power to satisfy our hope and our needs. See, the message of the gospel to us is this. Do not give up hope. And our challenge as ambassadors for Jesus, as bearers of the good news, as those who already know the power of the cross, our challenge is to make sure that we don't drop off now that Easter is behind us and take it easy for another year. Our challenge is to get the good news of the cross to people before they find themselves in a desperate situation. We're going to listen to a song in a minute called Christ is Risen. And in this song, the author invites us as worshippers to respond to the resurrection. And he says this, Christ is risen from the dead, trampling over death by death. Come away. Come awake, come and rise up from the grave. Just as Jesus said to that little girl, get up. So I believe he's saying to us, wake up. And he wants us to take that message to the world too, to say, wake up, it's not too late. Put your faith in me and receive the abundant life that I can give you.